After an eventful wet race in Singapore, we head to Japan with a cloud hanging over F1's head as we await to hear if Red Bull exceeded the budget cap last year. Could Max Verstappen lose his first world championship or will it have a bigger asterisk next to it? Plus, Toto Wolf says Lewis Hamilton could stay in the sport for another five years. Could he? All this and more on Unlapped. It's a really important moment for the sport. It's one of the coolest things of our job. You then end up in this becoming a championship for accountants. Uh, the memes that came out. Yeah, but we won't go down that rabbit hole because <laughs> it upsets the drivers quite a lot. Welcome to Unlapped, an ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George. He's Lawrence Edmondson, and that's Nate Saunders. Welcome back, guys. Again, I think that we are separated by two ponds and three time zones. Is that correct, Lawrence? That sounds about right to me. Uh, this is a remarkable effort. Uh, it's <laughs> 7.30 at my end It's in, in the evening. It's 6.30 at your end in the morning. Uh, Nate's somewhere in between. I think he's got the best, <laughs> best deal. But um, Yeah, yeah it's, by, uh, by it's far the most comfortable deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's already dark here in Japan. I've done a day of work. I've actually, actually ran the track just before coming back to do this podcast. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a good day at the track. Um, plenty to talk about, certainly. And explain that to people, Lawrence, about running the track, because it's one of the coolest things of our job. It and is. tell us how, what the time was, because I think you've run Suzuka before. How did it compare? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today was quite good. Um, I always do my measurements in kilometers. So my pace was 440 minutes. So four minutes, 40 seconds per kilometer, which is pretty good around Suzuka. And the, yeah, the great thing is in this job is that once all the st work is done on the track and, you know, they finished running, uh, it's pretty much open to anyone with a paddock pass to go and have a run around. Some people bring bicycles around the world and cycle around and so it's a good way of trying to stay relatively fit on the road because one of the downsides of this job is that you're kind of eating restaurant food every night and it's often quite cheap restaurant food and it's quite you know it's bad for you uh, so to be able to go out and kind of yeah get some exercise in is is a positive thing as, as we travel around so yeah quite glad i got it in on the thursday that's always uh, a good start to the weekend and um it's a really cool one to run this Suzuka. Uh, re really great track, undulating, sweeping corners. Everything that you see on TV is like that in real life. And then the other thing that really hits you uh, while we're talking about this is the runoff areas are tiny. You know, I mean, we think about Suzuka as a really uh, tricky track for the drivers. And then when you see how small the runoff areas are, it doesn't quite come across on TV, but you see that as, you, as you're running around it. Um, it gives you a whole new level of respect for what the drivers do around it. I think that was one of the coolest parts about being at Miami and being newer to the sport. Obviously I was gawking with everything that I saw, but it was cool to get to see different drivers, different team principals out on the track, whether they were running it on a bicycle. And as always, remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment on what you want to see more of. And don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's hit a quick bit of news or a very large bit of news before we recap the Singapore Grand Prix. Let's uh, hit the budget cap. That obviously broke after the three of us were able to meet and get together a week ago. For newer fans listening, can we just start with what is the budget cap? What does it exactly entail? And what accusations are being leveled at Red Bull? Okay, well, let's start with what it is. Um, so it's actually an idea stolen from American sports. Uh, mm -hmm. The idea that you mm -hmm. make the sport fairer, there's a le more level playing field if you have a budget cap in place. Now, my understanding of American sports, that's usually to do with players' salaries. Of course, yes. in F1, it's a little bit different. You have the two drivers. They're actually, their salaries are exempt from the budget cap. 
there's talk about bringing them in, but we won't go down that rabbit hole because it upsets <laughs> the drivers quite a lot. Um, but <laughs> instead, it's about car development. So it's about how much money you put into developing your car. Uh, that includes the engineers working back at the factory. It actually includes uh, the cost of traveling around um, and racing as well. So it's basically everything to do with developing the car and put it on track is more or less what's in there. There's exemptions to do with marketing and things like that. So that, you know, the teams can still spread the good word of Formula One around the world. But yeah, really... That's what it comes down to is, is like developing the car and put on the track. And the idea being is that you had this situation where the top teams were spending upwards of $400 million in a season on a car. And then at the back of the grid, you had teams, you know, struggling to get together a budget of about 80 million, you know, to, to go racing. So there's this huge um, gap between the haves and the have nots in F1. And of course, it led to the situation that we've become quite accustomed to of one team dominating the sport. We saw it with Ferrari, we saw it with Red Bull, we saw it with Mercedes. And now it looks like Red Bull might do it again. So that's what the, uh, that's what the idea is, is that everyone has last year, it was up to $145 million to spend. This year, they've it back a little bit to 140 million dollars next year it goes to 135 million dollars and then it's going to stay around there but the idea being that uh, all the teams have the same amount of money to play with and therefore um it's it's that bit fairer now because last year was the first year we haven't been through this process of teams kind of having their accounts scrutinized on a on a regulatory level by mm -hmm. the FIA. So the FIA have their own accountants who have, have taken a look at all these accounts, which were submitted in March for the previous season. And they spent okay. essentially six, six months uh, working through it, uh, trying to understand is what the team submitted. I mean, most of the teams, as far as I know, submitted under that 145, but how about other things they may have omitted? How about some money they might have put in this pot, which actually belonged in the development pot? And then has that pushed them over that, one four five figure and that's what we're waiting to hear on and at the moment uh we're at this kind of limbo stage where there's all these rumors about teams that may have broken it uh the rumors uh, on red bull and aston martin may have broken it but we don't know for certain because red bull are pretty adamant oh, they're very certain in fact that the accounts they submitted were underneath they're saying about four million underneath and then there's been all this back and forth with the fia this auditing process that maybe has brought them closer to it and the big question is whether it's brought them over it. And that's what we're meant to find out. We were meant to find out on Wednesday, nicely in time for everyone arriving in uh, Suzuka. But the FIA decided they needed more time. They'd already delayed it uh, twice mm -hmm. before that. So this is the third delay. And then we should find out on Monday after the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, and it's, it, of course, it's a huge story if it comes out. Because if teams have overspent, and we're talking really, you know, probably we're talking small amounts that they've gone over but uh lewis hamilton today for example was saying oh even an extra million if we've been able to have that i would have been able to bring another update or mercedes would have been able to bring another update to my car last year that could have made the difference in the championship and he's right you know a, a million will go a long way to manufacturing a new floor even if it's not redesigning parts it's just replacing tired old parts there's minimal bits of performance in that and we saw how close last year's championship was. So this is why it's such a big deal. Mm. And uh, then there's a question of what happens next and is there a punishment? But because I've spoken for quite a lot, I'm going to hand that thorny issue over to Nate. <laughs> That's a hospital pass, as we call that. In rugby. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the punishment side of it is fascinating as well, because we saw during Singapore, people were almost assuming you know, the, the absolute worst in terms of the breaches. And they're saying people have to be kicked out of championships, et cetera. But the FIA's regulations on this are, are actually quite clear. They define a minor and a major breach, which is 5% overspend, which I think equates to about 7 million 
uh, $7 million. And a minor breach, you know, you can still get points taken away, but it's it's more likely you err on the side of, you know, a financial penalty for a team in, in that position. I think, you know, you might argue that's within the margin of error. Like Lawrence said, some of this back and forth might be, we, you know, red, or a team submitted this report in, it comes back and they say, well, actually this, you know, we, you know, we think this is over. Whereas a, a major breach, that's when you start talking about suspension from world championships, exclusion from world championships, et cetera. And that's then what, you know, where you think to yourself, well, would they, would they take away Max's championship or would they take away, you know, would they disqualify Red Bull from the constructors championship? Which if you think back to the last major scandal in formula one was Spygate back in you know, 2007, Lewis Hamilton, when he won the championship in 2008, McLaren were disqualified from that year's constructors championship. And that was, a direct result of that. So it was a punishment, a big punishment for the team with a huge fine on top of that. Uh, but it didn't affect, you know, the driver performance in that, in that instance. So you know, while people might say that's, that would be an unfair way to do it, the constructors championship for the teams is still the prestigious one. That's where the prize money's based. That's where, you know, and, and Red Bull, you know, if, if you're looking this year, I mean, Red Bull haven't won that since the start of the start of the decade. So really thorny issue. And I think F, F well, the FIA, but F1, you know, in a, in a larger picture are in a bit of a, Tricky situation because I think any any anybody who reads budget cap breach, Red Bull, Max Verstappen, if that is what comes out on Monday, are immediately going to think, well, last year's championship was tainted, and I think a lot of people already kind of think that. Um, and you know, it's difficult because the integrity of the championship is is key. You know, you need to have faith in the governing body, and I think that while you know a budget cap breach would be nothing to do with the FIA. I think it would be interpreted as if, you know, unless it was the, the harshest penalty for a lot of people there, they would say, you know, I, I don't think, I don't believe in the integrity of the championship, which I don't think is fair because, you know, a financial audit is what it is. It's quite a boring, quite a lengthy process. Um, and, you know, I think that everything that came out of the weekend, I think has already convinced a lot of people that Red Bull have made some egregious, massive overspend and that they deserve to be kicked out of the championship. You know, it's kind of like a guilty until proven innocent type of thing. Um, I have no idea what's going to be in that audit. You know, I, I, I'm just assuming, you know, what people have been saying is based on something, no smoke without fire, but it's a tricky one. So punishments, I mean, I'm glad I'm not working for the FIA in this, <laughs> in this instance, because I can't really see a situation where they win because there's always going to be someone who's upset with the punishment handed out. I mean, it's the same for Aston Martin as well, right there. If the rumors are true, there's two teams that have overspent in some way. Um, so yeah, just a really, just a really tricky one, but to be honest, this is why a budget cap is important. I think this, this first mm-hmm. year, there was probably always going to be a long, long audit and it's probably going to be likely that teams were spending right on the limit of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, a difficult one to really have an opinion on, isn't it? Until we actually know what, what yeah. the, uh, what the deal is, but Lawrence is absolutely right about the fine margins. I mean, even look at last weekend, the top three in qualifying was split by half a 10th of a second. And if Lewis had had that extra half a 10th whether it be in car performance or whether, you know, from his own performance, he's on pole position and he, you know, the result of that race at a circuit like that might have been different. And you look at that across the course of a season, small, small amounts of money could have a big, a big impact. So I think that from a, there's, there's going to be a, there's going to be two arguments going on if there's been a breach. One is around the rules and one is around what the FIA's kind of regulations allow them to penalize people with. And the other one then is going to be kind of, I don't say an ethical one, but a you know a sporting one of people saying, well, is this is this fair for a team to get away with a breach if there has been a breach with, with you know say quote unquote just a fine, but on the outside looking in, a lot of people are saying, well, these are big F one teams that can probably get away with paying fines. So you open up a huge hornet's nest here. Um, I'm hoping that just all ten teams on Monday get that their ten certificates saying they're under, but I think a lot of people even in that situation 
because of all the rhetoric we've had, we'll say, well, there's been some kind of cover up. So it feels like it feels like we're just in this kind of lose lose situation lose, lose. either way, which is kind of a shame because you know you want to have faith in the governing body. You know, I saw just sorry, I've, Lawrence said I, he'd talked for a while. I've been rambling now for a little bit, but I saw a lot of people saying, you know, the FIA, um, you know, the way they handled Abu Dhabi last year, mm-hmm. it's no surprise they'd try and cover this up. And I think it's really important to for people that kind of go down that rabbit hole of there's such a big difference between the FIA making a mistake in a five minute window in Abu Dhabi last year and kind of being clumsy about how they handled it afterwards, having the mistake already been made in the rearview mirror versus suggesting that they're part of some kind of six month conspiracy to, you know, hide some, some overspend. So I think people have to kind of take a step back from all the emotion of last year and actually wait until all that stuff comes out Monday, trust the audit process has been, has been fair. Um, which from the time and the fact there's been delays, you would suggest that is that is the case. And then and then we can start throwing stones at each other once, you know, <laughs> once that comes out. But I think people are kind of already jumping the gun on exactly what is going to come out. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Never have the two of you anticipated reading a budgetary document so no. much in your entire <laughs> lives. Um, I mean, I don't even I don't even t- pay pay this much attention to my finances, let alone <laughs> right? to other teams's. <laughs> I, I do uh, think something that. A, go ahead, Lawrence. Uh, so, so somebody at the FIA, uh, I was asking questions about about the process and everything, and they said, "Well, the document's not even that big," and I think it's about twenty pages. But in the world of the FIA, that is a not very big document. Like the technical regulations are much longer. So yeah, we you, you get fairly adept at um, picking out like the right clauses and stuff in uh, in documents like that. But yeah, this one um, is an interesting one because the other danger is is that you know if you find ways to get around it, if there are ways to kind of just put spending in a slightly different pool that isn't covered by the budget cap, you then end up in this becoming a championship for accountants rather than a championship mm-hmm. for engineers and drivers. And uh, that's something that uh, everyone has to be careful with as well. Not only is this about the integrity of the sport, it's also about how this sport develops in the future. You know, if it becomes about how clever you are with your finances, that's not particularly exciting to explain, look, this is how, uh, you know, Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton won a world championship. It's much more exciting if we talk about the on-track battles or mm-hmm. the incredibly novel um, engineering solutions that the teams come up with. So uh, it's a really important moment for the sport because uh, the budget cap is there for all the right reasons. It is there to make the sport more exciting, bring it closer together. I know it 
doesn't look like that's the case after the start of this year because you know top three teams are still a long way ahead but over time it should do that so it's it's an important moment and that's why it's so important that the FI get this right which is why I completely understand them saying if you know they weren't ready to give out these certificates of compliance uh, to the teams that had hit the budget cap then fair enough if they need a little bit more time because ultimately we're already however many 10 11 months on from the championship finale in in, in Abu Dhabi last year so a little bit longer, you know, to find out what happened exactly last year with the, with the finances isn't too bad. It's such a good point because if Red Bull didn't exceed it, or that's what the findings come out as, you're essentially maybe telling teams, okay, well, there was a loophole, they were able to exploit it. And then every other team is going to say, well, why can't we exploit it moving forward? And they probably will. And they'll try to be able to do that. And then it'll spiral out of control. And then the budget cap is essentially a formality at that point. And we're back to where we were years and years before. So to be really curious to see, um, you know, how things play out on Monday. And obviously we'll be there to break everything down once it does. How about some good news? <laughs> if we missed, uh, total Wolf came out and said that he had had a conversation with Lewis Hamilton about staying in the sport for five more years. You were obviously on the ground, Lawrence. What did you make of, uh, that quote and hearing total Wolf say that about his top driver? Yeah, we were a little bit surprised to hear the five years come out, but um, mm -hmm. we put the question to Lewis today. He did a media session and uh, he was adamant that he's staying beyond his current contract. So for those who don't know, his contract expires at the end of next year, so the end of 2023. And um, after that, there was all these question marks about it. You know, we've even had stories about Daniel Ricciardo lining himself up in a reserve drive in case Lewis chooses to walk away at the end of next year. But he is certain he's going to stay with Mercedes longer term. He did say that, um, you know, at some point, obviously, he'll step back from the sport, but he'll always be a part of the Mercedes brand. He believes a lot in what that company is doing with green technology, with um, mm. promoting diversity within its workforce and all around the world. So he wants to be a big part of that. And he wants to, I think, hold kind of Mercedes to account on that, but also Formula One. He said there's, there's lots of stuff he still wants to make sure happens in Formula One. And we know all about the hard work he's done to try and understand why people from different backgrounds, um, you know, often underrepresented backgrounds, aren't making it to these engineering jobs. You know, where does that start? Well, it starts at school and finding ways to address that. So I think he wants to see a lot of that through while he's he, he's still at the sport, in the sport, and uh, and a big part of it. So, yeah, I it sounds 100%. You know, he's he's dropped these hints for a while now that he's really thinking about staying longer than his contract. So not a huge surprise in that regard. But now it looks pretty much certain that he's 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 kind of getting into the point where no doubt him and Toto at some point will start to talk down and discuss seriously how many years it will be <clears throat> and what the numbers will be. You know, and and uh, and what position he plays. So I think it's personally, I think it's great news for sport because I think Lewis is, you know, still one of the top top drivers in Formula One, even though he's been in a car where he hasn't been able to show it so much this year. Um, <clears throat> but fascinating as well, because we've had this situation with George Russell emerge, where Russell's mm -hmm. beaten him in the championship, and we're like, wait a minute, is Russell better than Hamilton? Well, we wouldn't know on, I think, you know, on the evidence of just a single year. So the news that he could be there for a long time, and Mercedes is going to have the two of them going up against each other, is really good. So um, yeah, I, I think it's great for F1. And uh it's um it's really good news for Mercedes. I think Toto putting that out there was just a little kind of, you know, sign to all the other teams that if Lewis is staying, he's staying with us. And sorry, Daniel, but there's going to be no space going forward either. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, poor Daniel. You know, he maybe is like, oh, maybe maybe there's a route in here somewhere, and then just you know, door just slams straight on his on his feet. Um, yeah, I agree with Lawrence. I think it's mega. I also I'm I thought Max v Lewis last year was 
some of the best Formula One I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And and Lawrence is right as well. Like, you know, Brussels right in there now. So if Mercedes and Red Bull kind of converge again in terms of performance, not only will we potentially see that Max and Lewis fight, but you have that extra element of of um of Russell being in there as well. So yeah, I think it's great. And um yeah, I think it's always interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the time when a driver's at this point in their career and they haven't been to like a Ferrari or something, people say, Do you want to go to Ferrari? But Lewis kind of poured a lot of water on that quite, you know, early. He was like, No, don't wanna yeah, I'm not really interested. And um sometimes when you hear a driver say that, you're like, Well, I don't really believe you. But I do believe Lewis completely. You know, I think it's it's kind of it's Mercedes or maybe not nothing, you know, in, in that circumstance, I'm sure he'd have interested like suitors after him but um yeah it's just such a such a good match and he clearly loves driving there and it's interesting isn't it how quickly in six months we weren't really sure i mean we weren't even sure if lewis was gonna ever emerge again after abu dhabi he kind of disappeared in, in the off season we didn't know where he'd gone um and in those six months since you know he struggled with the car a bit but yeah whenever he's talked he's he sounds like a guy who wants to stay for a long time and i think he's inspired isn't he by um people like serena williams and tom brady mm-hmm. who you know performed right into their kind of late thirties, early forties, and still been at a top level. So, you know, it's, we, we always talk about it being a, a young driver's sport, but you know, you look at Lewis and Fernando, two guys who are still performing at a really high level at that age. So um, I think it's great. Uh, the memes that came out when the quote dropped were hilarious. There's Lewis Hamilton standing on the grid, ageless. Then George Russell standing next to him. They've aged him like 35, 40 years. And he looks like an old man and he's all great. I just thought that that was really clever and funny. Um, so obviously great news for Lewis Hamilton fans and just fans of the sport. Uh, certainly if he's going to stick around for longer. I'm curious to go back you know, to last weekend, your thoughts on Sergio Perez's drive, Lawrence, and how important of a win it was for him in a Red Bull to become victorious in Singapore. Yeah, I think that's um, why Red Bull have him at their team. It's so that when Max isn't up there at the front of the grid, uh, they've got someone who can go and win races. And for a while, Checo seemed to have gone off the boil a bit. Mm. You know, there's stories about he hasn't had the updated floor that Max had after Spa, and that's led to some setup compromises. And clearly, the whole setup of that car has moved away from him and more towards Max, which, again, not a big surprise. We know that team is based around Max and winning the championship with Max. So it's good to see Checo, when he gets the opportunity, being there and getting the job done. Um, And I think it was a great race. You know, he said it was one of his best races. Uh, Christian Horner said it was his best race. So, you know, I I don't disagree with any of that. I I think it it was a very solid performance. The only thing being is that had Max completed his qualifying lap, he was going to be on pole by something in the region of eight, nine tenths of a second. Um, and uh, I couldn't imagine a situation where Checo would have challenged Max had Max started on pole position unless he got ahead at the start <coughs> and Red Bull had let them race. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, it, it, it was a great result. But um, I think you've got to remember it was also on a weekend when Max uh, was out of position and then made a bad start and then made a mistake. So all these things went wrong for Max on a track that's not that easy to overtake on either. Max just wanted to do us all a favor and to keep this championship going as we get ready for Japan. I'm curious. There was obviously a long delay, Nate, over the result due to the post-race investigation. Do the processes around penalties, I know we've talked a lot about the FIA, but do the processes around the penalties need to change? Because this isn't the first time we've seen something like this go down. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think, you know, sometimes you've got to give the benefit of the doubt sometimes there's going to be things that happen in the race especially mm-hmm. in the closing stages where it's like look we need to we need to 
follow this up with the drivers. What I've never understood in that situation is there's, if you know that the leader of the race has to go see the stewards, I don't understand why Formula One or why the FIAs that doesn't say then, right, push everything back. He's going straight to the stewards. We'll decide then, then we'll do the podium ceremony. Because I think it's just, it's it's ridic- a ridiculous kind of farcical situation to have a guy on the top step of the podium and you're like, well, he might not actually win the race. And it's happened a few times, you know, where people have lost a podium position afterwards in the in the stewards room. And, you know, if you've watched that race, it's, you know, imagine this summer, or sorry, this winter, but summer in <laughs> some parts of the world in, in, in the World Cup, you know, you see one team celebrating with the trophy. And then an hour later, it's like, well, actually, you know, they've just awarded two goals to the team that lost. So they won. And you're like, oh, okay, I just saw them. I just saw them celebrate. What, you know, what's that about? You know, so I think that from a, from a sporting point of view, it's terrible. Um, on that occasion, it was strange as well because, you know, they'd done a warning, they'd had a warning, and then, you know, they'd spoken to Perez again in the car. Um, and I always think as well, when you, when you do a, a retrospective punishment like that, they know they're dealing with the, the winner of the race at that point. And, I, I, you know, I think the stewards, you know, on the whole, you know, try and try and make the fairest decision they can. But I think when you know you're like, well, this guy won the race, it must play on your mind in some way. You know, you you think, well, if we give him this penalty, he'll he'll keep the win, but we have kind of enforced the rule book. So I just think from a general look point of view, I just think it's pretty awful. And um, I mean, we've, we, you know, Lawrence and I, you know, we go to a lot of these races together and there's been mm-hmm. somewhere you're super frustrated just waiting. I mean, Monza a few weeks ago, we waited about four hours for the FIA to con- just to confirm the starting order of the grid. And we we, we had all these different kind of, grid orders going around and we were like asking the FIA, you know, what do you think? Oh, you know, one team said they thought Alonso was like uh, Alpine were like, we think Alonso's starting fifth. And the Aston Martin were like, no, we think Alonso's 10th on our grid. Look, if you look at it this way. And, you know, we kept asking the FIA, like, you know, what's the, what's the deal here? And they were like almost kind of perplexed. We were asking, it's like, well, people, you know, especially nowadays, like the way sport moves with social media, et cetera, it's, it's constantly in the now. So I don't think you can, I don't think you can, have situations like that um the Perez thing it just seemed like a bit of a formality I don't know it seemed like they could have done that in the race um so yeah I I think there's so many things about that that need to change and I know that from a from a broadcasting point of view the broadcasters like to have the podium straight after the race so I can I totally see why that happens but I just think if if there's a penalty hanging over someone having a ceremony like that at all is is pretty pointless especially if the driver's only just going into the stewards room to be like okay, by the way, here's what I was doing. Here's why stewards can say, okay, well, we already have been talking about this. Boom, no penalty or penalty. Issue the verdict straight away and then do the, you know, do the podium because fans still might hate that, but at least they see the legitimate winner on the top step of the podium or the, you know, the top three are the top three. So definitely has to change. But um, I think that's something that probably won't change um, <laughs> in the short term, just because it's the way it's always been done. And that's kind of, you know, you know, that's one thing that I think you come to notice in in racing is that a lot of things that have been done for a long time just kind of stay around because that's the way it always has been. Lawrence, you had boots on the rain boots on the ground. What's the vibe when you guys are waiting like that? Yeah, frustration, I think mainly in the media center because um I had a flight at six AM. The race <laughs> finished around eleven PM. I think we got the results through around 2 a.m. So I was starting oh, no. to think, you know, like how long is this going to last? Because there'll be a point at which I have to cut off. But fortunately, the timing that came through was enough to write the story, pack up my bag, and and head to the airport. But um, yeah, it's 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 a tricky one because again, you, you want to get this right, and as a sport, 
as technical as F1, you do need these kind of, I mean, it's a weird rule, 10 lengths behind the safety car. You know, most fans will look at that and be like, well, why do you even need that? But, you know, the whole point of the safety car is it bunches the cars together, usually so that the marshals can attend to something on track. So it is important that the cars are bunched together. And also you don't want one driver going back from the safety car because he believes he can gain some of kind of advantage with not warming his tires because he knows his tire his car is better on the tires or something like that so there's lots of little reasons why you have these very particular rules and they're all there for a reason you know there's always been something that's happened in the past that's led to a rule going into the sports and regulations and so uh it's a tricky one and the thing with perez in in singapore is he did it three times so he mm. did it once and he was reprimanded for that again after uh then he did another one during the race uh during the second safety car and uh he got a um a warning uh, like in real-time warning from race control and then he still did it again and that's what he got the five second penalty for and the five second penalty meant that he was still 2.5 seconds ahead of Leclerc because Leclerc finished 7.5 so the other problem with it is that you know when you get a reprimand for one but a five second penalty for the other you know there's this kind of element of inconsistency and an in-race warning for another you know it's it's a tricky one it's not as simple as football like the ball goes over the line it's a goal mm -hmm. or it's a it's a throw-in or it's sorry this is english football not you know soccer i should say <laughs> rather than uh, american football but you know the same applies the same applies to a lot of ball sports right it's either in or out uh whereas there's a lot of these kind of judgment calls in f1 and then the penalty that results in it is also a judgment call that has to be made by this panel of stewards which by the way should be following everything else that's going in this race 20 cars all moving around together at the same time racing each other wheel to wheel you know in case something else happens and they have to then kind of make a decision on something else so it is tricky and they bolstered the amount of help the stewards get this year so as a result of abu dhabi last year um they brought in this remote panel uh, which is based in geneva and they have a direct connection with the stewards and they're not really doing the stewards job but they're doing all the background work so as much as they can they're cross-referencing other examples of um of incidents so I got to see this uh, firsthand in Spa and they have this amazing archive where you type in Leclerc uh, and you get all of the examples where Leclerc's got a penalty for various different things or right. you type the type of penalty and you get all the list of drivers who did it at different tracks and the idea being that there is then more consistency as you go through so I don't know I mean I didn't have access to that unfortunately uh, on uh, Sunday night Monday morning whenever it was but I'm sure maybe if you go back in time there were times when a driver did it and they got a reprimand first but they would have got a five second penalty the second time so I'm wow. sure there's consistency there but it just it that's why these things take a little bit longer and so uh, like I said before in a way I'd rather they get it right but completely understand it's frustrating you know you turn off your TV at the end of a great race but you don't know who the winner is I mean yeah it's tricky but if that does happen again, ESPN.com will let you know as soon as it happens. <laughs> Say what you want. It's uh, yeah. never boring. The sport is never boring. There's always something going on. Uh, let's hit the driver market real quick before we preview the Japanese Grand Prix. Any updates from the last time that we spoke? Is the Japanese Grand Prix a good time? Do we feel like AlphaTauri might make an announcement officially regarding their new driver? So, yeah, it's it's looking quite similar to, to when we last talked about this in that Pierre Gasly looks like he's on the brink of going to Alpine and uh, in his place, it's probably going to be Nick De Vries coming in, uh, who, of course, performed so well. But uh, it seems like everything needs to just be, uh, needs to cross the line and they need to make sure that's all going to happen because, of course, Alpha Tauri aren't going to let go of Pierre Gasly until they're sure they can get uh, another driver in. Of course, 
several months ago, we we're talking about Colton Herter, but then it became clear that uh, he wasn't going to be able to get the super license. But then, you know, there's a few places to to fill in around that. Uh, Williams, especially, you know, who uh, who goes in there because Williams were quite keen to get DeVries in alongside Albon for obvious reasons. DeVries came in and did that fantastic performance replacing Latifi. Um, sorry, replacing Albon, uh, you know, beating Latifi quite convincingly. So, uh they're very keen to get hold of him as well. But yeah, it's, it hasn't moved on a huge amount. It's kind of in that balancing stage where we think we know what's going to happen, but until it's confirmed, we don't have it reported 100%. Yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating like that because usually these things, you know, there'll be a rumour and it will escalate quite quickly. But I think there's so many moving parts this year, you know, with Ricardo around and with, you know, with Williams and Haas both kind of in the mix as well. I think it's kind of stalled a few things. There were some reports recently of, you know, Mick being linked with Williams and stuff like that, which... Is interesting. We haven't considered that potential move for him, but um, but yeah, Japan. I thought maybe that's where you know, if you're Red Bull, you know, announce a new you know a new part of your of your junior team that would make sense uh, with their Honda partnership. So uh, we'll see. But there's certainly been no there's been no indication that's coming. Usually, you get whispers of oh, there's an announcement coming. But yeah, it's kind of all quiet. I'm sure people might be listening to this now, being like, Nate, there's been six announcements in <laughs> like in, in on Friday that's morning. That's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. So I I'll sound completely out of date, but that's yeah, that is how it goes. All right, you mentioned Japan. Let's turn our attention there. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I'm going to have you, Nate, tee us up on all the different scenarios because I know you like playoff scenarios so yeah. much from an sure. American I, sports I was, standpoint. I, so. I was going to say, I felt, I felt bad you having to do it a second week running, so that's fine. I um, was I was working through it last week, and now I've seen your ESPN.com report, and you've laid it out so beautifully. So please do it for our listeners as well. Sure. So um, basically, there's actually, it's much simpler this weekend than in Singapore. In Singapore, we're kind of, it looks very unlikely. You basically have to think if Max wins the race or if he doesn't win the race this weekend. If he wins with fastest lap, then he's the world champion. doesn't matter where anyone else finishes. If he wins and doesn't get the fastest lap, Sergio Perez is mathematically still out of the championship. Uh, but Charles Leclerc finishing second in that scenario would take the race on to Austin, which I think all of us would, you know, deep down would love to be the outcome, love. you know, because we're going to be there. Um, it becomes a bit more interesting if he doesn't win the race. So given where the points are at the moment, um, you've got, uh, yeah. So I just, just double checking my notes because this is, this is, this is complicated. So he leads the clerk by 104 points, Perez by 106 points because of count back. The fact that neither of those guys, if they won every race in the season, would win more races than him by the end of the year. He'd win a head-to-head tiebreaker against them. So he basically has to leave Japan 112 points clear. So if he doesn't win the race, and those two scenarios I said don't come true, 
he basically has to outscore Leclerc by a minimum of eight points and Perez by a minimum of six points, which isn't too difficult, you know, when, when you start looking at the um, the way points are given out. Uh, but he can't win the championship if he's if he finishes seventh or lower. So he's got to finish in the top six. Preferably, he's got to win the race. Uh, and he's got to finish ahead of both drivers. If one of them finishes ahead of him, it goes to Austin. So I think that was fairly concise, fairly clear. But um, basically, if if you want Max to win the championship this year, you just got to root for him to to drive in the in the manner that Max usually drives this year, which is just incredibly quick and just kind of faster than everyone. Um, and yeah, I can I can see him doing it. It's hard to imagine him having two bad weekends back to back. And if you just... want Max to win the championship, you're very 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 unlikely to be disappointed at the end of the season. So yeah, just hold on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it it's, will it's, happen. It, it's a good horse it's, to back uh, at this point. Yeah, it's a frustrating situation in F1, isn't it? Where we kind of all know that Max is going to be champion, but he's not officially champion yet. And then um, uh, Nate has this kind of bugbear with F1 is that when they become champion, so let's say Max does it by winning and getting fastest lap this weekend, no questions asked, he's definitely champion. Uh, he doesn't then get given the trophy yeah. then. He has to wait until this post-season uh, uh, yeah. uh, award ceremony, just in case somebody appeals something or I don't know, you know, I mean, obviously what this budget cap's going on at the moment, it's unlikely to affect this year's championship, but just in case something pops up, uh, it, it doesn't get official. But I know this is Nate's, uh, yeah. Nate's arena, really. It drives me wild, but I've driven Lawrence wild with it over the last few years. But like every time Lewis would win the title early, he'd just get the, the trophy of like the, the race he'd won. But even in, I mean, there was a few years where Austin and Mexico, he finished outside the top 10. And it's like your new world champion, Lewis Hamilton. He's just kind of strolling around the paddock like, yeah, I'm the champ. But it's like, give the man the trophy, you know, like give him, you know, some Something. of the most iconic images in sport are, you know, I don't know, like, you know, John Elway with the Lombardi trophy or in England, we always have Bobby, uh, Bobby Moore on the shoulders of his teammates with the World Cup. Like, you know, you don't want to see six months later him in a tuxedo just with like a, a, a great trophy, by the way, like a really nice trophy. But I always say to F1 fans, I'm like, try and picture it in your head. It's very difficult to imagine the F1 trophy. Whereas if you say, like, think of the Super Bowl trophy or the mm -hmm. Stanley Cup, you immediately think of it. You're like, I know exactly what that looks like. I've always thought that's quite interesting. So, but Lawrence is right. You know, if people appeal it, um, you know, it can change hands late, but it just seems like a, a sad, you know, sad thing. And I think last year, there was a discussion about it between F1 and the FIA because I think, you know, obviously with American owners of F1 now, they, you know, maybe lean that way as well. But anyway, I didn't even know we were going to rant about that today. So I'm glad Lawrence <laughs> brought that up. And I will I be ranting agree. about it. If Max wins on Sunday, our next podcast, I'll just repeat this rant when he doesn't get his championship. Yeah. I do agree with you. You miss out on that iconic moment by not yeah. giving it to the driver in that exact moment. Uh, let's talk about Suzuka for a second because it's been a while since we've obviously been to this track. Uh, what can we expect, Lawrence, and, and who do you feel like it favors, um, maybe other than Max? Yeah, I think you can expect one of the best tracks in Formula 1 to watch a racing car. Now, I know we said that about Spa, we said it about Monza, and we didn't get the most exciting <laughs> races. So um, there does seem to be this, this trend now that uh, these cars are actually much better at kind of different types of tracks, and they've kind of evolved away from some of these racetracks. But still, seeing a car go around Suzuka, the first sector, the S's, Lewis Hamilton was talking about it today in his press conference as well, and just how it's one of his favourite places. And also that there's always either a headwind or a tailwind. And because these cars are so aero-sensitive, they're so reliant on their aerodynamics to keep them stuck to the track, that makes a big difference to how you drive it and, uh, and how much fun it is for him. He likes the headwind because that gives you extra downforce through the sweeping corners. And so, um, yeah, in terms of a place to go and watch Formula 1 cars, it's one of the best. And like I said earlier, 
you know, these tiny little runoff areas, the smallest mistake, and they can be in the gravel, they can be in the grass, and sometimes, you know, quite often they'll be in the barriers as well. So it um, it really does punish mistakes, which um, as long as everyone stays safe, uh, that's a good thing, I think, in Form 1, because you don't want these big runoff areas where you make a mistake and you don't get punished. So it's, um, it's a great race. Drivers absolutely love it, and it kind of just creates this huge atmosphere around it, which is multiplied several times by the fans who... You know, we say this a lot, best fans in F1 and all this kind of stuff. But the Japanese fans are really in a league of their own. You know, they create homemade uh, hats and helmets and backpacks and stuff with miniature F1 cars on. I saw um, uh, some fans who managed to get themselves into the paddock today and they were all wearing uh, these little kind of hard hat helmets with the T-cam. You know, like you see the little T-cam on top of an F1 car, which gives mm -hmm. you the onboard footage. They had those on top, homemade. <laughs> and then they had their own little pit boards and one said Max Verstappen 2022 world champion. So we know who they're supporting. But um, there's also these uh, three or four famous guys. I think there's three of them who uh, who have been to uh, races over years and years and years uh, at Suzuka. And um, when the DRS came into F1, which is the flap mm -hmm. in the rear wing that opens up to help overtaking, they decided to create these helmets with a rear <laughs> wing on top and then a little pulley so that they could operate their DRS as they walked around the track. And um, I try and go and find them in the, in the fan zone because they don't really speak much English. I speak zero Japanese, but they're always a good laugh and we always kind of have a chat and they do the DRS thing and you try it on and you get a photo. It's great. Um, it's great. And they update it every year. So it's not like the original one. They update deliveries on all this kind of stuff. So a magical place. Absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, even if the race isn't quite, you know, as, as good as it could be because it's so hard to overtake around such tight and fast track, um, it's still a special place to come. And it's, it's nice as well to be talking about, uh, even though it is, you know, four races left after this one. For me growing up, and it might have been the same for Lawrence in the UK, Japan always felt like a title deciding venue because it was always, right, it was either penultimate race. You know, sometimes I think it was always usually penultimate race, but usually there was a championship on the line when you went there. And I mean, American fans will, will know all about this, but Japan, the great thing in the UK with it was you'd have to wake up super early. And I remember as a, as a kid waking up super early to watch Damon Hill win in 96 uh, sorry um yeah sorry 96 and then in 97 uh Villeneuve beat Schumacher and then as a huge Ferrari fan I remember waking up in 2000 when Schumacher won there won the driver's championship you know ended Ferrari's wait for it so it has that kind of special um connotation for a lot of fans and because it's over the years it's kind of shifted further and further away from being the final race you don't usually come to Japan now and think oh there's a championship on the line so even though it might not be as dramatic as in some of those those years for me the nostalgia in my head is you know is like yeah if the championship's decided here even if it is it means we got four dead rubbers at the end of the year it kind of at least kind of harks back to back to the old days did you say dead rubbers yeah is that it is that does that translate to america that's just like not a, at all so i'm curious yeah i don't know i've never known what like where that comes from but yeah dead rubber just means you know a race with with nothing riding on it so i'm sure lawrence has a technical explanation for what it means but um, no, uh, okay. I should know. It's that there is an explanation I've looked up before, but I don't know. It's not to do with F one. I think it comes from another sport, but I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. But yeah, it means if you if somebody wins a championship and you have four races left, those four races mm -hmm. are dead rubbers. Yeah. yeah, dead rubbers. All right, I'm gonna add that to my vocabulary. Uh, I don't think this is rocking the boat. We can say the Japanese fans are the most creative. Certainly, yeah. that's I, 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 I think that's fair and probably most dedicated because okay. uh even after the sessions have finished so on a 
Friday night. Um, it gets dark very quickly here in Japan. So it gets dark around 5.30. So the session finishes, second practice session on a Friday. And then the cars go for um, scrutineering. So they're taken down to the FIA. They get weighed, checked, all this kind of stuff. And the fans will, will stay there in the main grandstand, completely packed, watching this. And because it gets dark, they all bring glow sticks. So they all have glow sticks. And every time like a car comes out of his garage to go down scrutineering, they'll start waving them and stuff like that. And uh, it's, a, yeah, it's just an incredible atmosphere. And they'll do it in the rain. They'll stay there even if the weather is awful. And tomorrow it looks like the weather could be awful. So um, yeah, uh, so dedicated as well as creative. So yeah, good, good combination. So our stand-in producer today, Tom, standing in for Dave, has just messaged me with the origin of Dead Rubber. If anyone wants to, to know what that is. I would love to know. So its origin is actually from the card game Rubber Bridge. Don't know if we have any Rubber Bridge players in, in the podcast. I can't say I'm one. But we're in three competition game. One team wins, uh, wins once. It scores 100 points or more. If that is done before completing the three competitions, the remaining one is said to be a dead rubber. So there you go. I mean, mm. I, I had no idea that that game existed. Now we know. I was going to say we know, Now we know about a game and a phrase that came out of it. But yeah, thanks to Tom for that. That was that was super snappy as well. I can imagine him immediately Googling it as we were talking mm-hmm. about it. Oh, yeah. See, you come here for all the F1 analysis <laughs> as well as just being cultured. You're welcome for joining Unlapped. Okay, our favorite part, your favorite part, predictions. And I have last week's. You guys uh, hit on one selection. Do you remember what selection that was? I'm going to say that was the clerk being second that we got. You did. Yeah. Yes. I think we both you said both Max. actually. Oh. No, no, no. Lawrence, no, you I said the clerk win, win. So I got that wrong. Yeah. Oh. I got it all wrong, I think. So, Lawrence, you said Charles to win, Max to come in second. And no, then right. you had George in the yeah. middle finishing third. Couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> yeah, that was a <laughs> pretty bad prediction. So, yeah, don't listen to me. Yeah, two of those guys didn't finish in the top six. Yeah, exactly. Nate, you had Max finishing first, Charles finishing second, and Lando Norris finishing third. Oh, yeah. So not far, far off. I mean, Lando, you know, that, to, to be honest with you, in a normal race, wouldn't have been close. But yeah, maybe I was sensing something with with McLaren. Um, yeah, you just knew that there was going to be so much carnage. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, let's put it to that. It wasn't just a completely wild stab in the dark. All right, so give me your th- three predictions, your final podium for Suzuka. Lawrence, we'll start with you. Okay, so you, you know in advance this is wrong because my prediction uh, <laughs> record so far this season is terrible. But I'm going to say Max Verstappen wins it with faster slap, therefore gets the championship. And as much as I'd like to see it go to Austin, I'd also like to see him win it uh, in Japan because it is the home of Honda, who are still producing the engine and yeah. will have their name on the car this weekend. So that would be cool for them. I'd like to see that. Uh, Leclerc second, which means that there'll be a battle over faster slap, so we won't know exactly where he's going to win it here or there. That would be exciting. And um, let's go with Checo Perez third because I think he's going to build on his his victory and have a strong end to the season. Awesome. Okay, nice. I dig it. Written down, noted. Hmm. Nate, I am going to say Max, Checo, Leclerc. But let's just be controversial. I'm going to say Perez is ahead of Max, and Red Bull ask him to to move over, let him win. Oh, okay, okay. Let him win the championship. Oh, interesting. Because obviously then he'll keep Leclerc behind him. And so it won't matter about fastest lap. But at that but point... That, that's a conspiracy I can get behind. But yeah, at that point, I think that's fair. You know, you want to wrap it up as soon as as soon as possible. Um, at that point, I don't think anybody could blame team orders if no. it comes down to that. 
No, and I, you know, it would be harsh in any situation because you'd say there's still four races left. But like Lawrence said, there's a big PR win for Red Bull and Honda. So I think if there is that situation, um, but yeah, I think I've I think I've predicted also Max to win the last like seven races. So I just you wanted have. a different, yeah, I just I wanted wonder, a different one. I wonder though if uh, because the two of you foresaw so much success in the last few, if you're what's jinxing it and that's what's prolonging the championship. So I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, least. potentially. I mean, if he doesn't win it this weekend, maybe there's some credence to that because it definitely no seems doubt. like since since we started predicting them, Max went on that huge streak of wins. And then as soon as we were just like, ah, oh, Max is going to win. So we both were just like, whatever. Like <laughs> he he then has Singapore. So yeah, you stop trying in your predictions. You stop caring. Yeah, for my that's, favorite why, that's, segment why put, in this that's why I put Lando in there. I was like, yeah, yeah. Lando could get in the top top three. Nearly right. What time is it local in uh, Japan when the race start? Uh, when does the race start locally? Good question. I don't know that off the top of my head. Because because in Japan, because you have this uh, sun that sets uh, earlier, um, they tend to run the whole schedule a little bit earlier. But, okay, um, sorry no for doubt, putting you on no the spot. Doubt, no, that's all right. That's all right. It's things I should know, let's, uh, <laughs> let's be honest. But uh, I wonder whether producer Tom will bail me out or whether I can Google it myself. Basically, Tom, I wanted to try to count backwards is it 13 hours of when i need to be awake to watch the race okay that's okay. all i really so I'm, needed to know so i have it track time two yeah. o'clock two o'clock start for the race three o'clock for qualifying while we're on the subject um, so i think it's, it's yeah. saturday okay. evening race for you katie i think oh yeah or sunday Ooh, sunday morning yeah yeah I mean, that's, yeah that's hardcore i mean that's that's a saturday night race really isn't it you just got to stay up yeah. you don't wake up early for that so yeah no yeah. sleep for the weary as always, I appreciate you both. Lawrence, thank you for joining us from Tokyo. Obviously, Nate, thank you for joining us from England. I am in Tennessee, the least coolest of those places <laughs> I just named. But as always, we appreciate your time. Thank you. And thank you guys for joining us and listening wherever you get your podcast. Make sure that you like, subscribe to ESPN F1 for more content. Uh, we'll be back next week with, I'm sure, a lot to debrief. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.